This is 69 The Podcast. I'm Dave Haynes. 69 has been covering the digital signage industry since the dawn of man, first online and now as a podcast. The goal on here is to make listeners aware of interesting companies, smart people, and new technology developments, all of them meaningful in making digital signage projects happen. I try to help listeners understand sometimes complicated subjects and why they should care. The podcasts are free and I try to get a new one out weekly, but things happen now and then. The 69 Podcast has been gratefully sponsored and supported since the start by Jeremy Gavin and the fine folks at ScreenFeed, the digital signage content store. ScreenFeed makes beautiful-looking, totally automated content for signage and digital out-of-home networks. Check them out at ScreenFeed.com. 69 has been around since 2006, and the publication and podcast are now owned by Spectrio, which provides customer engagement solutions for business. You can find them at Spectrio.com. If you're going to the big Infocom Pro AV trade show coming up very soon in Orlando, you'll undoubtedly see a super busy Brightside stand and a crowd around CEO Jeff Hastings. I've spoken with Hastings a couple of times now for this podcast, but it's been a while and I wanted to catch up and get his perspective on the state of the industry, as well as find out what's new with this company and its little purple boxes. The Silicon Valley company is pretty much its own category now in terms of media players, as I hear and read about solutions providers weighing decisions on whether to use PCs, smart displays, set-top boxes, or bright sign boxes. The company now ships around 1,200 units a day. Based on its reputation for having a range of durable, reliable devices that hit different price points and meet needs from simple to sophisticated and powerful. In this chat, we get into the state of the digital signage market. It's growing across segments, but maybe not at 2022's pace. How the characteristics of end user buyers have changed and the role of AI in bright science business and more broadly for the industry. Mr. Hastings, good to chat once again. Uh, we, we've done a couple of podcasts, but uh, you, you know, you're, you're a big shooter in this industry. I need to talk to you regularly. I don't know if you call me a big shooter, but uh, I'm definitely hooked into the world and uh, live it seven days a week. So yeah, good good to chat uh, with you, Dave. I'm just sucking up. <laughs> I'm not sure why, but I am. Okay. <laughs> so where is the industry at these days? I'm, I'm just kind of curious because when I talk to people, they will uniformly say everything's awesome. And you, while you, you can say that too, you're, you're, kind of different in that you're supplying stuff to all kinds of different companies so you maybe get a better sense of what's really happening out there. Yeah, I, I think one of the things that we do that's a little bit different is, you know, BrightSign is really a horizontal platform as I call it. So we we work in pretty much every vertical market that has a display that's used. Um, so we see from the broad market what's going on. Um, last year was, you know, a great year of growth for us with over 20% growth. Um, this year has honestly started off to be a little bit slow. And I think most people are kind of reporting that, um, it's definitely been a little bit slow start to the year. Um, you know, I think a lot of things going on with the interest rates and, and people being a little bit cautious about recession, but overall the industry is still growing. Um, it's not growing as fast as what I think most people predicted after last year. Uh, but it's a very solid market. Um, we see more and more kind of what people call digital transformations. I'm not a super fan of that world, but um, essentially it means people are, are putting in more digital signage. You know, retail continues to be a great segment. Uh, people investing in, in retail uh, to create better experiences after the whole pandemic of, of people uh, wanting to get back out and 
people see the investment in that kind of real world experience uh, paying off. Yeah, I guess you could call it fidgetal. Yeah. <laughs> another another term that uh, I, I would be happy if I never saw again. <laughs> what? Why that is do true. you? Why do you think uh, retail is growing? Is it just simply that they're understanding the whole experiential thing and that you have to do more in a store? I think a few points. First, the whole idea that we're going to buy everything online and just stay in our house. I think most people realize, yeah, there's a lot of things that work that way and I, you mm-hmm. know, I can just have it being delivered. But the reality is we are social animals. We we want to interact with people and just being stuck in our house is not what we like to do. And I think most people are now seeing that with the results of the pandemic that, you know, being stuck in your house is, is we're not built for that. Um, it's, it's almost akin to being in jail. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of people comment on that. So getting out um, is important for us as, as, as humans and having that social experiment and getting out and shopping and actually being in retail. Part of it is actually physically buying the goods and a lot of, but a lot of it is social. People just want to be out in the environment. So now that you take that as a fact that people want to be out in the environment, if you create a, a place where it's exciting to be in and there are other people that are there, guess what? More people is going to come to your establishment. So mm-hmm. we really believe that's, that's kind of the fundamental basis of, of why people are investing in retail. That's the main reason. If you look at kind of a secondary reason, um, a lot of the big retailers, um, you know, their business boomed um, during the pandemic. A lot of people talked about how online boomed, but actually, a lot Groceries. of the bigger, re- yeah, a lot of the bigger retailers boomed, and they got a lot of new customers. You know, I think um, you you look at, at at folks like Walmart. They lots of people come into the stores, but the pandemic, they had a dramatic increase of people coming into their stores. Well, as as we start going back to the normal world, folks like Walmart want to make sure that they keep those people coming to their store. You know, back during the pandemic, maybe they were the only stores that were able to be open. So they got new customers. And now what they want to do is create an environment where they keep those new customers. Mm. So I think there's a lot of that going on of of kind of stepping up their game of before it was just about price. Like, okay, we'll just go there because it's got the best price. Now people are like, hey, I want to go there and I want to enjoy my experience. So that is playing into this this investment in digital science and kind of digital experiences at retail. Are, are you getting a sense from uh, all the companies who work with you that they're starting to open up new verticals? Like I, I, I've wondered when healthcare was finally going to start happening. Oh, it, all, all the verticals. There's, there's. I don't, I'm trying to think of it. I, I don't know of any verticals that are not growing right now. They're all growing and some of them are growing faster. I think ironically, which I wouldn't have predicted this, kind of the corporate sector is actually growing very rapidly right now. I think people see that, you know, people are coming back to the office, mm-hmm. maybe not a hundred percent, but they are investing in, in it the kind of the same way that retail is, is investing in the experience. People are realizing that the office is no longer where a place that they have to come work, much like in retail that you have to go there to buy a product. But you want to get people in that environment for kind of the social 
aspect of it and the collaboration aspect. And if you create a, a nicer environment, more people come to work. So there's a lot of investment in that going on also. And how does that manifest itself? In terms of manifest itself, in terms of... Uh, like what What are they doing? A big ass video walls in the lobby or is it more kind of the operational it, side of it? It's literally all aspects of it. One, okay. um, the, the create in an impressive environment. So lots of LEDs, lots of video walls going into these places to create a more exciting environment versus just a bunch of cubes. Mm -hmm. um, secondly, more communications, um, which is more just kind of standard displays, ways of communicating with employees um, and more almost, I, I don't like the word infotainment, but kind of infotainment where yeah. they've got interesting things being displayed to communicate with employees, but it also it's, it's a bit fun. So, you know, these are things of just celebrating employees. We see a lot of that going on, of kind of recognizing employees, communication about what's going on in the company. You know, this whole idea of an intranet, um, I think most people realize that, guess what? When they have an intranet, no one actually goes to that <laughs> website. <laughs> so so that was a that was a great failed experiment. Um, I think a lot of people made a lot of money on intranet sites mm -hmm. uh, that end up being a massive failure. So you know, the ability to communicate employees is very important. And what they're finding is, guess what? If there's a display up there and it's interesting, people will look at it. And now mm -hmm. you're getting across a message. And that could be whether it's a, a benefits program or, you know, you name it. They, you're able to communicate with employees and engage in them in a way, especially with the younger crowd. The, the younger crowd doesn't want something kind of forced on them. They want to be able to kind of opt into it. And the displays actually allow them to kind of opt in in this passive fashion. Mm -hmm. Has the uh, buyer profile changed at all? It seems to me we were chatting at some trade show or other, and you were saying how your your guys are spending a lot more time talking to IT people than perhaps they did in the past. It's it's very much changed. I, I would say when I look back ten years ago. Um, maybe 10% of the deals that we did involve the IT group. Mm. I would say today, any large deal, the IT group is, is involved with. And this has to do with, you know, understanding how they're going to maintain them because it's, it's now moved from whoever was wanting to quote, buy the digital signage, whether it's the marketing group or the HR group, that they're quickly realizing that the IT group is going to own these things in terms of making sure that they're working every day, not mm -hmm. putting the content on them. Um, so the IT group is now very much uh, involved in that because they know they're going to own them. So, you know, understanding what the cost of, of maintaining them is going to be. And then secondly, security is just an enormous thing today. I mean, it's, you know, pretty much every large deployment we do, we, we go through large amounts of security reviews. Um, the great thing for us is that was, it's kind of a backbone of our product is, is security. And, and we've built with our own um, kind of proprietary OS. We've, we've put in the ability that the security is super high. Um, you know, we our, our devices are used on Navy ships on the most secure network in the world. Um, so it's, it's a thing that it actually benefits us, but um, just the interaction with the IT involvement, any large deployment goes through literally months of security review. Mm -hmm. um, and if you can't pass that, it doesn't matter what the other organization from a content perspective wants to have. It'll never make it. When you're 
dealing with IT and IS people when you say it's a it's our own proprietary operating system. Does that present a problem or are you able to kind of say it's a it's derivative of Linux or whatever and it's it's fine? Yeah, so at first and you know a decade ago we would say that and it would just make the 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 hair stand <laughs> up on meeting. their back. They're like, "No!" But now what they've realized is there's a lot of these devices kind of really classified as kind of IoT devices. Mm-hmm. Um, and they now understand, you know, how they fit into the environment. And it's not like, oh, my God, we we can't maintain it unless it's a Windows device. Um, it's interesting that they now um, are able to kind of classify, classify these devices as kind of IoT devices, with proprietary operating systems, and understand how to run them. It's also the the larger corporations have now kind of figured out how to understand the cost of of a classic kind of PC. Not that that's what everyone uses, but they now really understand that. Um, and most of the companies are now they use a number of around three hundred dollars as the cost to just have a PC in the work environment. So mm-hmm. they now understand what a what a cost basis really is for maintaining these. And for us they're giving much lower numbers uh, in terms of of being able to have one of these on the network. And a lot of it has to go um, with the ability of these devices. You know, if you're using like Windows or Mac, these things are constantly updating. And each time those um, operating systems get updated, there's a percent of things that fail. And those are support costs. Um, With our device, we don't do that. So it actually saves them a lot of money operationally at the same time, keeping the the security level high. So what happens when you do have a firmware update? Um, so on, on our system, the first thing you can do is we, we can test those. Um, mm-hmm. And most of our customers do actually test those to make sure that they're not going to get a failure with our system. That's very different than something that gets shoved down the pipe automatically uh, right. to, to maintain your security level. So by doing that, it's a very controlled rollout. And typically... It's a it's a very rare exception on our platform um, that something has to go out because a security fix came out immediately. A lot of it is just because the way that our operating system is first cryptographically signed, and secondly, that people can't put random applications on our platform. Those two things raise the security bar really high, so right. that when you need a, an operating system update, a firmware update, it you can be controlled about it. You can test it and roll it out. And that really is is where a lot of the savings comes in because most of these operating system updates, it's not that the actual operating system is causing problems. It's the whole ecosystem of applications that people use that something breaks. And one of those application breaks, and guess what? They get hundreds of calls coming into the call center to fix it. Each one of those has to be fixed and dealt with. And that's where the the, the kind of the burden of cost really comes up. And if you think about digital signage, 99% of those new features in the operating system are never, ever used in digital signage. In fact, most of them are actually being defeated. People don't want them, right? You don't right. want a desk. You don't want a desktop in digital signage. Yeah. Is digital signage with the people you're dealing with now or your your, your business partners are dealing with now, are, are they seeing it as a mission critical application now it's it is definitely moving towards that um i wouldn't say it's completely there mm-hmm. um some of them are mission critical um 
We have folks in the F1 world that use our devices, and I will tell you, they view our devices as mission critical. Um, the Navy uses our devices. They view them as very mission critical. Some of the marketing folks, maybe they don't view them as mission critical. They view them as very valuable. Mm-hmm. And the resulting, anytime that there's a downtime, it's it's important to them. I'd say it, it's moved from a place where people would be like, oh, well, displays always go down and they don't worry about it too. Hey, those things should be working all the time. And that plays to our advantage. For over a decade, ScreenFeed has been the reliable choice for beautifully designed, licensed content such as news and weather. We handle over 27 million requests a day to deliver dynamic content to 200,000 screens across the globe. Now we bring you ScreenFeed Connect, a no-code solution that makes complex content projects easy. Projects that used to take our designers and developers weeks became a to-do we could complete before lunch. The easy-to-use browser-based tool leverages pre-built data connections and ready-made widgets to give you the power to design with data. Create team member profiles, schedules, tenant directories, progress boards, featured products, or anything that leverages your data. Discover how Connect empowers you to complete projects faster at ScreenFeed.com. Ten years ago, when the first system-on-chip displays came out from Sony and Samsung and then LG and, and on and on and on, they weren't very powerful. They didn't do a hell of a lot. Uh, you know, they could do the basics. They could show a menu, that sort of thing. But they've been around for a decade now. They're pretty powerful. I, I hear from people saying they're they're pretty darn good. Does uh, do, do these smart commercial displays now present a challenge that perhaps they did in the past? And are you looking at embedded solutions? I know you already do that with Bluefin and you did a little a little bit with NEC Sharp back in the day. Yeah, so, the, you know, the way I look at these is, is you know, the, the range of devices that can create this experience. I mean, you can look at a $35 Raspberry Pi that's going to do a bunch of powerful things. So mm-hmm. the whole content side of it, I really focus less on that. You know, we have a whole range of players from kind of simple um to very complex with the new XC product. And it's interesting to look at from a content, but what we're seeing more and more from our customers is the ability to maintain these and control these because the long-term cost is really what comes into play. Mm. Um, so it, it's been less, it's becoming less and less about, oh, can this play this piece of content? Because that's being more and more commoditized over time. Right. And what we're seeing is, you know, as we talked about, like the IT organization, the ability to maintain these, the sustainability. And there's a lot in sustainability states. You know, mm-hmm. what's the power consumption? What's the lifetime of, of a display? And, you know, one of the things that we actually see that is as a vulnerability in the in the kind of the built-in displays is that their storage is is fixed you know it's it's soldered down on the motherboard and and flash memory is well known it's a consumable it it has a limited mm-hmm. lifespan so that's one of the things that we're seeing that with our players you can replace that media um with a with a display that has it soldered down once that memory kind of wears out which it does mm-hmm. um then you've got to throw away the whole display so that means that all of a sudden now you're taking instead of a, a tiny little SD card that weighs a few grams. Now you're just going to throw away a whole display that's going to go to a landfill. So 
we we push a lot on on sustainability. You know, clearly in in North America, it's a little bit behind Europe, but in Europe, that is a big big deal of mm-hmm. sustainability. So, bottom line is, um, you know, we the the built in um, definitely has some advantages. It's you know the the operational ability to deploy it is simpler, but it's not the panacea. And uh, there's still lots of things out there. The mm-hmm. the manageability of it, the the ability to update. And, and control things remotely, you know, the ability to change out the SD card when it wears out um, is very important. And I, I love to make the joke that if I bought a car that I couldn't change the tires when they wore out, I'd be really bummed to have to throw away my car <laughs> because I can't replace the tires. And that's the same thing with flash memory. It, it's the same thing as a tire. It's going to wear mm. out. Yeah. You'd hate to throw away your car. But I guess so. So with a Bluefin, uh, I, I know they have a, a a range of displays now, and they're not just uh, little shelf edge ones. They go up to I think into forty inch plus or something. In, in those cases, when you've got an embedded display uh, that's got bright sign inside, is it swappable, upgradable? Uh, yes. Um, so there's a there's a few things about those displays. So the first is it uses our same architecture, so it'll use an SD card as the storage mechanism, so you can do that. Secondly, it's actually slotted. There's, you know, it's actually you can open up that display. You can uh, actually okay. replace the player. So, so it's like the Sharp NEC ones going back five years or something. Exactly, and so okay. we standardized on it on a different kind of connector um, to really, you know, make the small the form factor very small. So both mm-hmm. the media is replaceable and the player is replaceable. So, and we've even had some customers already do that of upgrading their platform from an earlier one to their or next gen and they're they're all backward compatible so they'll fit into the same slot and you get kind of the newer performance um so yeah so we we see that you know as a market there there's there's a class of customers that that want that um you'll see more and more people and you know kind of at every show if you stop by we have more and more people who are, who are doing the bright sign built in and, and you'll see that trend continue you'll see it continue as more and more people realize like, hey, that's a really good solution. The platform, the ecosystem, the upgradability, the remote management is really important and they want to add that to their displays. And I mean it's it's a it's a little thing, but the the simple fact that if you can put up a display in an hour instead of 90 minutes or something, if you're doing a big rollout, it adds up. It does add up. Um, and like I said, there's there's the upfront and then the ongoing. So yeah, there's there's been there's absolutely benefits to it, but you've got to make sure that um, you don't end up with the car that you can't change the tires on. Right. What about uh, Apple TVs? Uh, there's three or four companies, at least uh, CMS software companies, who heavily market Apple TV as their solution. Is is that you know, maybe not a concern, but do you see it as real competition or almost like a novelty? I see it mostly as a, a, a novelty. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's still, it's on the border of a consumer kind of operating system. It's a little mm-hmm. bit different, uh, but still you're, you're dealing with a lot of the same things you're, that you're, you're fighting the platform, um, mm-hmm. you know, Apple TV, Roku, Amazon fire. They're, they're, they're essentially all very similar. They're built for a consumer. They're mm-hmm. not built for commercial and what that means is that you're you're kind of fighting the platform. You know, I, I routinely see people that's bought the the Roku TCL TVs and they have their little digital signage application. And then when it reboots, it comes back to the home screen and people are trying to to beat that. So the 
if you look at large scale deployments, that's where you get into this manageability mm -hmm. and controllability. And those things are not optimized for that. So, you know, it's, it's not like I'm saying it, it's, they're worthless. It's just in large deployments, it's difficult to deal with the little right. idiosyncratic um, kind of consumer devices. And it's interesting when you talk about Roku because uh, I don't think that many people know that uh, BrightSign is, is is in effect a, a spin out of Roku, right? Yeah. So yeah, we were um, the the BrightSign business was originally part of Roku, and in two thousand nine we we spun out from them. And um, actually, the core operating system is, is still very similar between the platforms, although you know we've taken it in the digital signage direction and added a lot of features and capabilities. Um, in digital signage, and obviously the Roku guys have, have taken it in their direction of of, right. of streaming. But yeah, at the, at the core of it, yeah, that's that's where the technology came from. Is, is there still any kind of sharing of ideas or anything between the companies, or are they very much different tracks? And we, we, we have we share DNA, but that's about it. Um, it's really we share DNA, and that's about it. You know, I, I'm still on the board of Roku, so I actively uh, participate in their business. And um, but yeah, there's there's no official sharing, but yeah, with me being on the board, we get kind of informal sharing. Yeah, I mean, you're you're sitting there actively listening, and they say we're developing this, and you're thinking, oh, I, yeah, that that's kind of interesting. Maybe I could apply that. Yeah, and the same thing goes the air direction. Some of the stuff that we work on is is pretty interesting. As we do a lot of out of home advertising, you know, they mm -hmm. do a lot of, they, you know, their model is built on a big advertising model in in home. So there's there's definitely things we share along that also. You you have uh, high end players that can go up to 8K. Do you, are there customers using 8K, or are they just buying those boxes with the idea of okay, we're future proofed? So yeah, the the way I think about those players is it's you know 8K is a feature. Um, it's not the only thing that you buy those for. So you know those uh, most of the people are not using 8K, and that's it's honestly it's kind of just a marketing thing because mm -hmm. very few people actually use 8K. Um, most people are buying them for the power of the experience. Um, so very high end experiences that people would have classically used a PC for now can get our device with the reliability of our operating system and maintainability, yet the power of a PC. So that's kind of what we see most people buying before. The 8K applications that we're seeing right now are kind of in two sectors. One is people with consumer, uh, manufacturers of consumer TVs that want to create an 8K experience that you know has all this interactive and all mm -hmm. the great features. They use, they're using our products in that. And then LEDs. So LEDs is probably the biggest area where we're used. We're seeing the 8K as a single output. Um, those are very interesting cases because as the density of, of LEDs have come out and, you know, folks like Novastar now have 8K uh, sending units, we can now plug in 8K and instead of having multiple boxes of content rolling in, they can just have one big 8K palette that they can split out to anywhere they want on the LED screen. So the, that's a big market. Then the last segment that we see kind of 8K being used in is being able to have content that spans over video walls. Um, so if you think about like a four screen, four, um, 4K LED wall, 
Right. 8K is perfect for that. And and with the hiring unit, it's got four HDMI outputs. So you can just plug four TVs in, adjust the bezel compensation. And now you have, you've dramatically simplified having a video wall. So those are kind of the areas that we're seeing um, people using eight that our XC product, which, which does 8K. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't open an email list or uh, go to any kind of a, technology site without seeing a couple of stories or a couple of pitches about AI. How do you see AI uh, fitting within what you guys do? So first, I mean, AI is, it's super interesting. And, and, you know, especially with chat GPT uh, Mm -hmm. coming out there, I think there's a lot of areas that you're going to see AI, at least in our world. So I see it one on the internal side. So, um, helping our developers um, become more efficient. You know, when you're writing software, there's a lot of kind of, um, I would call mundane writing right. of software that is yep. done. Whereas now that can be automated. Um, you know, the, actually there's a, gosh, I can't think of the name, but it was um, Get, I think it was GitHub. There's a tool from GitHub that generates um, a lot of tool, a lot of software inside Visual Studio for doing simple things. Mm-hmm. Um, then using chat GPT to, to do some of the um, basic framework that works really well. So those are tools that I can see. And, and also maybe on the support side, being able to use AI to, you know, get a much better quality support, uh, first level support request. Um, so I see those things as kind of on the operational side of the business. And then when I look at on the digital science side, like what are things that's going to be changing um, the world? On, on the kind of the outside of digital signage, I think the biggest one that I see is content generation. Mm. I don't know if you've played with any of the tools on content yep. generation. It, let's be real. A lot of people you need just kind of simple videos and imagery. And with these new content tools, you can tell it what you want. I was playing with one the other day and said, hey, I want, a, I want a, um, an image with a hamburger in a retro look. And it generates me an image. If you think about what that would have cost to have mm-hmm. a graphic designer do that, this is, I think it's, I think the package I paid for is like 10 bucks a month. Like that one image would have probably cost a few hundred dollars for a graphic artist to do. Yeah. So I, I think the content side is coming up there. And then the last part, which which we're working on a little bit, it's it's still early, is for our integrators to be able to describe the experience they want and create a presentation on it. So mm. that is one that I think is it's the same kind of way that you think about, you know, giving our programmers and our software engineers a big head start. I think this is going to be kind of the next step. So an integrator, instead of having to say, oh, gosh, how do I use which tool to create this? They basically put this into an AI and say, here's what I want it to do. And it gives me the experience back. Um, yeah. And it's and, and at the simplest level, it's already working, which is, you know, for doing some simple presentations, not that it's an enormous amount of work. It's just the learning curve. We've got it working where now you can just tell it for a simple presentation. It'll put it together for you. So I think, you know, and we're just at the early stage of the AI. So I think it's going to have over time a profound impact on 
basically making digital signage easier and lower cost um, to do a lot of things. Yeah, I, I, I've been saying to people that, yeah, the, the generative AI stuff is cool and the ability to you know, generate images from prompts, as you were describing, is, is really interesting. But I, I think where this is really going to get used is behind the scenes for things like you're saying with coding, generating market mater- marketing materials, doing smarter monitoring, all that stuff that, uh, you know, an end user customer may never see, but is, is going to, as you say, make doing this business easier. Right. I, I just, and when you just look at it, the, all of these things lower the barrier to entry to mm-hmm. having a deployment, which is just good for our industry. And I think the, the, the AI tools are just at the early stages of, of creating these um, experiences and content that just lowers the cost of doing it. So all of them is exciting for us. So you're going to be at Infocom, which by uh, the time this runs uh, will be imminent. Uh, it already kind of is, but uh, what are you going to be showing? I know you've got new players, new Series 5 players? Yeah, so we'll we'll have the whole uh, lineup of Series 5 players. They've been kind of dribbling out uh, since the end of the year. Um, so yeah, we'll be showing the new XT, uh, the XT5 for the first time in our booth. Um, and that really will complete, uh, our whole series five lineup. Um, so all of them will be on display. Um, we'll have more of the, as we talked about the bright sign built in displays in different form factors, some, some interesting ones, um, will be there. So yeah, I think if anyone's out there, stop by, it'll be you know, the, the new XT product will be out there and will be exciting. And uh, more of these uh, built-in displays will be there that's, you know, kind of plays in that segment of the market. What's your booth number? I don't know our booth <laughs> number. <laughs> I knew you wouldn't, but I had to ask. I know. I just, <laughs> those things are not on the top of my list. Oh, come on. We're in the digital signage section and you'll, and you'll see the power of purple being out there. Just look for the crowd, right? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, Jeff. Hey, Dave. Thanks so much. And good chatting with you. That's it for this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed it and maybe you learned a thing or two. If you're new to 69, it's a podcast that's been around since 2016. You can click around the archive and find hundreds of conversations with smart industry people. If you're new to digital signage, you need to be reading 69 at 16-9.net. You'll find more than 8,000 posts by me and expert guest writers about this industry. 16.9 is not a press release republishing mill, like a lot of the stuff out there. If something makes it on 16.9, that means it matters in some way to the business. Everything about 16.9 is free. Great sponsors make my work possible, and the key one here is ScreenFeed, the digital signage content store. Check out all the curated and automated content available at ScreenFeed.com. 16.9, the blog and the podcast, are now owned by Spectrio, which does customer engagement solutions, most of that digital signage, for all kinds of businesses. You'll find them in the Tampa area and online at Spectrio. That's Spectrio.com. You'll find me working out of a sunny back room in my house, located outside Halifax, Nova Scotia, on the east coast of Canada. Thanks for listening. I'm Dave Haynes.